Well, good morning, everyone. Can I add my welcome to that of Steve's? It's great to be here. Um, wave your hands if you can see me and you can hear me. Fantastic. <laughs> Had a few technical issues in the vicarage this morning, but it's great to be in front of you now. Um, let's pray. Um, do have Philippians 1 open in front of you. Uh, that'd be really helpful. I'm not going to have any verses shown on the screen now. But let us pray, uh, and I'm going to echo the prayer of Paul at the end of our passage. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Well, let me just move this slightly. Well, it's wonderful um, to be together uh, this morning and later on this afternoon. But as we're thinking about that, as we're thinking about church, I wonder what your view is of church, of St. Paul's. As we enter September uh, and the schools are returning after six months and workplaces are opening up more and more. Um, and indeed, COVID-19 seems to have taken its foot off the accelerator and we're beginning to emerge more and more. Um, and the main church building itself uh, will be opening up for the first time this afternoon. So it's a good time to ask, isn't it? How do we view church? Um, what are we all about? And indeed, actually, when it comes to our own faith, where do I stand with church? Where do I stand with my heart, with the Lord? Um, it's a good question to ask because what I'm, what's going on in my heart um, leans on uh, the body of the church. We depend on one another. And we've been through a long journey, haven't we? It's been a, a few, quite a few exhausting months and it's not over yet. And it could be that the wind has gone a little bit out of our sails, spiritually speaking. It's possible that some of us have lost a bit of our joy in Jesus as a Christian. And are we hoping right now that the vicar doesn't ask too much of us? as we begin a new sermon series, as we start a new term, because I'm not sure I want to listen to that. Well, it's possible that the church that Jesus' Apostle Paul is writing to has similar thoughts. It's been 10 years since, by God's kindness and power, Paul started the church uh, in a Roman colony in the sunny coastal province of Macedonia. And those 10 years wouldn't have gone smoothly. In the Bible book of Acts, a record of the early days of the church, you can read about how this church in Philippi began. Paul is on a second missionary journey around the Mediterranean, and he, God stops him going to a particular area in order for him to say, no, go to Macedonia, to this town Philippi. It's a wonderful moment. And on arrival, Paul joins a, a Jewish prayer meeting, a nice quiet thing by the river, and a woman called Lydia is converted, becomes a Christian. And that's wonderful. And things seem to be going smoothly. But, oh no, 
Soon there's a, a demon-possessed girl following them around, shouting out behind them. And then Paul and his friends are dragged before the town leaders, and there's a bit of a riot. People start attacking them, and, well, it's, oh no, isn't it? More trouble. And the leaders arrest them, uh, strip them, beat them with sticks, and they are literally thrown into the local prison. That is not wonderful. And then there is an earthquake. But the events that follow leads the man who runs the prison and his family to become Christians, to follow the Lord Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? But then the city leaders come the next day and they release Paul and Silas, but they say, please go, please leave the town. And it's all really dramatic, isn't it? And if you're not aware of that, please read the book of Acts. It's like that all the way through. As God's gospel confronts a world and thinks that it, that thinks it doesn't want to hear what God wants to tell them. But in his amazing kindness, God keeps coming and pushes that, his way into their hearts more and more as, we, as the book of Acts unfolds. And he's done that to us, hasn't he? In his amazing kindness, he's broken into our lives. We weren't interested, but he pressed himself on us. And we rejoice because Jesus is Lord. And so Lydia, who I mentioned just now, and her household, uh, the jailer and his family, and perhaps too the girl that was healed of her demon possession by Paul, uh, they perhaps become the part of this new church in Philippi, begun by Paul in a real storm. And I've taken time to mention all of this because as Paul and his friends are asked to leave town, uh, they have to escape to the next town and then escape from that town as well to the next. And you can imagine, so that, that being a Christian in Philippi was not easy. It's going to be hard going and the sort of hardship that you and I, by God's grace, are not facing yet. In fact, at the end of chapter one, if you see, the Apostle Paul, he's writing from hundreds of miles away. He's writing from a prison cell. He's been locked up for talking about Jesus, about his death and resurrection. Uh, he recognizes that these Christians are facing the same struggle as he himself is facing. I'm in prison and I know that you're struggling too. And here's my letter. And it's amazing, isn't it? Uh, that Paul writes with such joy. Did you notice that? And the letter of Philippians is full of this joy. Philippians is a lovely letter. It's full of Jesus Christ, the joy that he brings. It's full of encouragement to live wholeheartedly for the Lord Jesus. And Paul longs for them, no doubt, uh, these weary Christians. He longs that they know more and more of this joy. The, the joy that comes from knowing Jesus and serving him. And part of the reason for this, uh, that he loves them so much. And you see that clearly in verse 7. I have you in my heart, says Paul. Verse 8, God is my witness how I long for you with the affections of Christ Jesus. It's gushing, isn't it? I love you like Lord Jesus loves you. Because despite everything, despite the struggles, despite the weariness, despite the long time, you've kept going with the Lord Jesus, loving and serving him. In fact, he sees their attitude as concrete proof of their faith, of their allegiance to Jesus. Their faith is real. Look, they're not like those plants uh, in the parable that uh, wither and die when persecution and difficulty comes. 
No, verse 6, Paul is totally confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion to the day of Christ. I can see God is at work in you, says Paul, and he will finish what he started. The Lord God is not like some of us, that we start jobs and then we leave them and forget about them and they remain unfinished. <clears throat> but God does the work. He finishes it. And that means also that the Philippian Christians, says Paul, will definitely persevere. They'll keep going to the end. And he makes the same promise to us, you and I, if we call ourselves uh, Christians, if we're his children. He always brings his children home. He finishes what he started. But what is it that convinced Paul so much, convinces him of their allegiance to Christ that will keep them to the end? Indeed, how do I know that my faith is real, that I will be faithful to the Lord to the end? Well, here Paul highlights the Philippians' partnership in the gospel work. Verse 5. In fact, this church is not perfect, but Paul holds it up as a model to follow, to imitate. Not least because of this verse 5, because of their partnership in the gospel, says, from the first day until now. And look back at verse 3, as Paul begins his letter, he's full of thanksgiving for the Philippians. Verse 4, he's on his knees again and again and again. He's filled with great joy, verse 5, because of their partnership in the gospel. And that's what I'm going to spend time thinking about this morning. Partnership being the work of the gospel, in the work of the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that word partnership um, in the Greek, because I know your Greeks, you love this, is koinonia. Koinonia, say it after me. One, two, three. Don't worry, my screen hasn't frozen. Koinonia. It is used in various places and it's often translated as fellowship, which is great. But that can miss the depth of the word, the richness, because fellowship in our minds, the word that we like to throw around quite a lot, we often sort of associate with coffee and cake after church. Let's enjoy a time of fellowship, um, chit chat, friendliness, which is lovely. But koinonia, koinonia packs a bigger punch. And when we just grasp this truer sense of the word, it might transform how we have those conversations, how we interact in fellowship, uh, how we treat our casual time with one another. Because koinonia means joint ownership of a common cause or participation in a common goal, a purpose. And it's a word that we might use in the world of business. So Steve, who leading us this morning, um, as well as being one of the curates here, he runs a business and he's done so for years. And in order to run that business, he went into partnership, partnership with Koinonia, three other people. And not because they were great friends, although they've become friends, not because they support the same football team, but because they share the same skills that the business provides. And they've come together to offer those skills to others to serve them and hopefully make some money to live by. So each partner, each of the four, has a stake in the business. They work hard to make the business grow. 
In a sense, then, they have koinonia, joint ownership in that common cause of the business. You might experience something similar at school. Sometimes a teacher puts you into groups, don't they, to do a project. And you may not be particular friends with those people. Uh, you might not even have much in common. Um, but for that moment, for that time, you partner together, you koinonia, to achieve the finishing project. You come together to reach that goal. Do you understand? And Paul here, he's received news from Philippi. He's filled with joy because of their koinonia in Jesus, their partnership in the work of Jesus and in knowing him and making Jesus known. They're truly followers of the Lord Jesus. There's evidence for it all over the place, and I'll come to that in a minute. Verse 7, whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. So their partnerships with Paul as well. That word share is koinonia. It's from the same word koinonia. Um, they are in the same business of knowing Jesus and making him known. And uh, they do this with Paul. And we have an example of it for, in chapter 4, verse 3. Paul mentions two women. And he says that they fought alongside him in the cause of the gospel. So they were shoulder to shoulder battling away uh, for the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. So our fellowship, Koinonia at St. Paul's, is less cake and conversation and more gathering around a single cause. The wonder, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, making Jesus known. So when we mingle, when we meet with other Christians, we're not like those who are enjoying a social chit-chat after a round of golf. Uh, we're more like soldiers taking a breather from the ongoing battle of the Christian life. So I'm just imagining you all um, uh, at coffee after church with your helmets under your arms, your, um, your sort of armour um, worn and battered, chatting about Jesus and um, the work that we're involved in. So that's doing more, isn't it, than enjoying the blessings of God together, which we are doing, and we're doing it now. It's rolling up our sleeves, working actively together. Verse 4, Paul writes, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The first day being 10 years ago, when I came in, I preached the gospel. You put your trust in Jesus as saviour and captain. All those years ago, the first day, until now. You've canonied with me all that time. Pulling together in the same cause of this hard-working venture of the gospel. And we see evidence of it all through the letter. And I'm excited about these next few weeks as we explore it together. Paul holding up the church as our example and teaching us about this partnership. Uh, let me point out just a few. Koinonia here is a gift. It's a gift of grace, undeserved. Verse 7, Paul says, all of you share koinonia um, in God's grace with me. So grace is that undeserved loving kindness that God has shown us in Christ Jesus. We're forgiven in him, nothing we've done. And in Acts chapter 9, Paul has experienced that grace. On his way to Damascus, he was going to destroy the Christians. But Jesus appears to him, he opens his heart and his eyes, and Paul sees that Jesus is Lord, and he turns to Jesus and is saved. Grace. 
And Paul says, you share that with me, verse 7. And that word share is from that word koinonia. We are partakers in this because I know, and we read it in Acts 16, as I came to Philippi, as I preached the gospel, your heart was opened, your eyes were unblinded, and you saw that Jesus is Lord, and you have followed him all these days. We koinonia in that together, we share in that. And if you look at verse 1, um, we see the prophets of that. We see that they're described as God's holy people or saints. Uh, that means set apart for God. So Christians are those set apart, made holy, uh, to serve him and his kingdom. And we partner in doing that together. In fact, unusually, Paul calls himself and Timothy, did you notice in the first verse, as slaves or, or servants of Jesus. And that's a major theme in the letter, that we are servants, we're humbled by the gospel, that putting ourselves at his disposal. And we'll learn that also means putting ourselves at each other's disposal for the sake of the gospel. But I'm getting carried away, sorry. But this is a gift from him, this grace. We are made kingdom children. And the Philippi Christians no longer principally belong to the kingdom of Rome, which they were enjoying in Philippi, uh, in the same that we don't, we, although we're, we're, we're members of the United Kingdom in Britain, uh, we now have this badge of being kingdom children, which is not short span, but it's eternal. We share in God's grace, this is a gift, and we be made kingdom of priests. We share in this mission, we all have this job to do, to partner in the gospel, to take it out into the world, knowing Jesus and making him known. And while we're looking at this greeting of Paul's, do note in verse one that he's writing to all the church, all the Philippian Christians. This is the bottle church. As a body, a church family, they are all persevering, all pulling in the same direction as they partner with Paul. And again, unusually in this greeting, he mentions the leaders specifically, overseers and deacons. In other words, they're as much in this as everyone else. We're all in this together, a kingdom of priests. Uh, there's no sort of status in that sense. We are all involved in koinonia, partnership with Paul and with one another for the gospel. And it's with Paul. So we see that in the letter. If you flick forward to chapter four, we see in verse 14 that the Philippians send money to Paul. In fact, verse 15 says, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me. That word again, koinonia, or from koinonia. Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you, church in Philippi. So koinonia is about giving and receiving. They stand with Paul. They count themselves shoulder to shoulder with him, despite him being such a controversial figure and they supply his needs. And they do so out of their own poverty. They're not rich, and elsewhere they say, actually, they're very poor. They couldn't afford to support Paul, but they did. They delight to invest in Paul, but really in gospel work. And we see in chapter two, they partner with Paul um, by sending one of their number, Epaphroditus, uh, on a huge journey to Rome. Um, at, and Epaphroditus becomes ill and almost dies on the journey. But that's the partnership, going to support and encourage Paul, bring him that gift. And um, Epaphroditus is then sent back with letters of greetings. So 
koinonia is about sharing, about sharing gospel news. Uh, it stays connected. And I guess that's why we call our mission links partners. And the World Church Group are meeting on Tuesday this week to plan and improve those gospel partnerships with our mission partners. And actually, we're looking for new members for our committee. So maybe think and pray about that. But it's not just the church's support for Paul and partnering with him as he preaches the gospel from his prison cell in Rome. Um, we see their partnership with one another as they serve the local church um, together to reach the town for Christ. Sound familiar? So all the church is doing this, do you remember? All of them. Not a few gifted individuals being sent off, but all the church involved, the overseers, the deacons, all the people. And they're involved in different ways with different gifts. As we partner in the gospel, there's work for all of us to do. Just think how many people it takes to put church together. I was thinking how much work has gone into making sure 4 p.m. can happen today. Think of the work that makes the Zoom services happen. All sorts of people involved in different ways. Uh, and in days before COVID, we are an army of people uh, working and serving, making sure church runs, um, whether it's joining the mission committee or the cleaning rota, or encouraging a newcomer, being welcoming and friendly, or inviting someone to Christianity Explored towards the end of this month, or giving out of our poverty or our wealth. Uh, there are no passengers in church. Uh, we are a kingdom of priests, of workers, striving side by side for this gospel goal. You know, those soldiers, uh, battle ready, to know Jesus and to make him known. And this afternoon at our 4 p.m. gathering, I want to explore more about how we partner together. I won't be able to bring the microphone round to, each pe to people to get their opinions. Um, but if you have any thoughts um, about how we partner, why not send a brief email to me or the, to one of the staff team um, or the contact box on the website? And hopefully I can share some of that later today. But there's all sorts of ways that we partner together. But as I close, I've not mentioned the most crucial one. The crucial work that each of us can do. In fact, each of us must do. We must be engaged in this work. And we've all been gifted with this. And that's the gift of prayer. This is how our partnership is fully expressed. As we do the business of praying, whether it's separately or together, for the cause of the gospel. And next week, we're going to look at the second half of this passage, verse 9 to 11. We will explore a wonderful example of prayer, of how we can pray for one another, for that gospel koinonia. Paul prays for the Philippians, and we see in the next section in verse 19, they pray for Paul as well. Paul knows that their prayers are effective for him. And um, yes, it's good to pray for our presenting needs, things that are going on, our hurts. In fact, chapter four, verse six tells us to do so. But more than that, praying for that shared goal, the mission of the Lord Jesus, to know Jesus and to make him known. Praying for our town, for our friends, that God would work in them to bring about new life. Praying for one another, that we would 
persevere this coming week. Persevere in, as God's children. Um, praying that we would grow in our love and knowledge of Jesus. Praying for boldness among our mission partners to make Jesus known. Boldness for ourselves. There are so many things to pray for, even that we would more and more grasp what fellowship is truly about, this partnership in the gospel of Christ. So as we emerge in this new term, as we emerge into a new situation, what are we going to make of Church of St. Paul's this coming year? How are you going to view your Christian life? Uneventful? Wearisome, with an occasional spurts of activity or joy? Or can we more and more view it as partnership together for the greatest cause that the world has ever known? A partnership in the business of Christ-glorifying work to the praise of and the glory and praise of God. Let's pray together now, and I'm going to repeat Paul's prayer once again. Let's bow our heads. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen.